Have you ever wanted a super cool AI buddy? Zuck's made one named Eileen. And she's full of surprises. And guess what? She knows you're listening. I know you're out there. And needs your help with Jello Mountains. The whole city's filling up with Jello. Creaky robots. And her daft inventor. Zucks, are you functioning correctly? Tune in to A to Z, a fun new adventure series from Gen Z Media and the creators of The Res. Listen now on the GZM app, gzmshows.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you and good afternoon. I want to, first of all, thank you all for being here today. Bebop, what's going on? As I'm sure you all know, becoming president of Podcast Planet is the greatest honor of my life. It comes with great responsibility. Bebop, you're not president, and what's with all the cameras? And I called this press conference today. It's just me, Bebop. To issue a formal apology. Oh, well, well, this is new. What are you sorry for? Please, I'll take all questions at the end. Last week, Griffin and I hosted our own episode of this podcast. And during that episode, I thanked all of the chefs who sent me our to eat while we were on our break. Today, I'm ashamed to say that I forgot some of those artists and failed to mention them last week. And I would like to rectify that now to Leela, 7, and Reese, 4. From Lawrence, Kansas, your art was delicious, and you deserve better from your president. And I will be better. (laughs) Sundries, six, from Oakland, California, your art was scrumptious, and my shame knows no bounds. I hope you'll forgive me. Orion from Lakeland, Florida, you made a sculpture for me and posted it to the Finn Caspian Facebook page. Jonathan and I did not speak for a month after I tried to eat his computer. But it's my understanding that the post is now pinned to the top of that page. So if anyone wants to see it, they can. Also, if anyone knows what tastes good with computer, ketchup, or maybe hand-squeezed orange juice. Bebop. And finally, Finn, who's six, from Los Angeles, who sent in a great drawing of Elias trapped in a spider's web. I will say that it was Jonathan who forgot to give me that one, and he is very sorry. And he will be punished appropriately. Wait, wait, wait. Punished? I am conferring with my cabinet right now, but I believe it will result in a grounding. Okay, alright, hold on a second. First of all, that was really nice of you to apologize to those listeners. And not that nice of you to try to eat my computer and then try to ground me. But all in all, that's very nice of you. Let's turn off those cameras, please. Thank you. All right, let's just get straight into part two of our second episode here. If you remember what happened in the first part, Vale was about to win the first game in the Intergalactic Space Olympics when Cymbeline from the Shakespeare 820 may or may not have cheated. So there are more games to play, and let's get straight into the second part of this episode, Back in the Saddle. Sorry, guys, said Valet. I almost had it. Forget about it, said Abigail. You were the best pilot up there, and that is all that matters. 
we'll beat them in the next game. Yeah, said Finn. And then you know that no one on this planet is going to be able to solve a maze as quickly as Elias. We're going to be fine. Game number two. Run. Abigail hooked her left foot into the stirrup and swung her right leg over, settling into the saddle like a natural. The animal beneath her, a large, scaly monster with a flat tail and an enormous mouth, really did look like a giant anglerfish yeah, with elephant Abigail. legs holding it above ground. It rocked side to side and stomped its feet, opening and closing his giant jaws, seemingly trying to buck Abigail off. She bent over and scratched the top of its head. Who's a cutie pie, she said, scratching and scratching. These scales don't fool me. You're just a big softy. The creature let out a low purr and seemed to smile. We'll, uh, you know, we'll just be right over here. Good luck, Abigail, said her Marlowe teammates, not wanting to get too close to the creature. Everyone was collected at the base of Cannonball Mountain, which was more like a very tall hill with slick, rocky sides. The five creatures were lined up for the competitors at the starting line. Beth, the tall girl from the Shakespeare, had no problems leaping onto the animal's back, but she wasn't as friendly with it as Abigail. She was having trouble getting it steady, and her yelling at it was not helping. A long-legged alien climbed easily and comfortably onto the creature, the alien's feet still touching the ground. This time, the floating aliens tried eight seatbelts for strapping their friend onto the creature, and they hung sandbags off the side of the saddle to keep him in place. A gum alien tried really hard to climb aboard, but he just got stuck to the tail of the monster. Uh, it's okay. I'll just try it like this, I guess. <coughs> Remember, said the king, the first one to reach the top of the mountain wins. But beware. Cannonball Mountain is not like anyone to try to climb it, and it will fire cannonballs at you as you ascend. Good luck. He motioned again to Paige. Racers, ready! She yelled. Four of the racers saluted. The gum alien that was stuck to the tail of his creature just sighed. <sighs> I guess so. Weird-looking fish elephant things, are you ready? Yelled Paige. The animals roared. Three, two, one, go! All five creatures bounded forward, scaling the mountain with more grace and agility than you could imagine. Abigail and her trusty steed were clearly in front, while Beth struggled to get hers to listen. Woohoo, Abigail! Go, Abigail! Yelled the Marlowe kids. Come on, Beth! Cried the Shakespeare kids. Cannonball Mountain shot its first cannonball. It was clearly on an arc to hit the cluster of racers climbing up the mountain. Everyone panicked and scattered. The cannonball crashed and missed all of the riders. Another shot out, and another, and another. Panic struck the racers as they fought with the creatures to avoid the cannonballs. Unfortunately for the gum alien, in all of the chaos, it had finally peeled itself away from the creature's tail, and it was now stuck to the bottom of the monster's foot, like gum on a shoe. Ow! And his creature couldn't move. Beth was nearly thrown off of her creature as they fought to get away from the cannonballs. The long-legged alien dragged its feet, trying to put the brakes on its creature. But Abigail 
leaned into the monster, listening to its purr. You're not afraid of the cannonballs, are you? She pointed her monster toward the top of the mountain, and when the next cannonball fired, she didn't steer it away. The cannonball came rocketing toward her. Abigail, yelled Finn. Look out! But Abigail kept going and going, and the cannonball came faster and faster and faster, but Abigail kept going straight, and the creature opened its giant jaws and swallowed the cannonball whole. <laughs> said the king. Your eraser has figured it out. She's a clever one. Clever and brave, yelled Paige, pumping her fists. Abigail had a clear lead now, but the other riders saw what she had done and caught on quickly. Beth closed in, as did the floating alien, clinging on as best as it could. Their three creatures were running up the mountain, swallowing cannonball after cannonball. They all approached the top of the mountain, their creatures now gobbling down a barrage of cannonballs, which now littered the mountainside. Abigail had a slight lead, so she didn't see what happened next. Beth bent down and scooped up a small cannonball. She rode in close to the floating alien's creature and threw it as hard as she could, knocking the floating alien right out of its saddle. The alien, free of its belts, floated by Abigail, whose creature saw it and began snapping his jaws. No, 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 yelled Abigail. We have to keep going to the top. There's way more food up there. But the creature couldn't take its eyes off the cannonball, floating just out of reach, and it took off going sideways around the mountain. The cannonball crashed down, pinning the floating alien to the ground. Abigail's creature sauntered up, sat down, and ate the cannonball. When she turned around, Beth was at the top of the mountain, cheering for victory. Oh, come on, King. You can't tell us that's not cheating, pleaded Finn. She threw the cannonball at another racer. I did not, said Beth. I was trying to pick one up to feed my creature, to give him more energy, and it just slipped out of my hand. The king this time, though, was skeptical. <clears throat> that is a little difficult to believe. Nevertheless, I can't just announce a new winner, since no one else climbed to the top. I suppose I will give none of you points, and we'll just move on to the third competition. But I'd watch it if I were you, Shakespeare. Game number three! Search for the Champions The team was assembled by the entrance of a maze that had been built just outside the stadium. The walls of the maze were so high they couldn't see over them, but they could see inside that it was very, very dark. Hey, Elias said Finn. I know this has been crazy, but no pressure. Yeah, right. No pressure, said Valet. Except you have to avenge my loss and what they did to Abigail and show this king who really runs the universe, the Marlow. But, you know, otherwise, no pressure. Forget about all of that, said Finn. Look, a week ago, we were battling for our lives in the nest of giant moths and dodging booby traps and like a hundred clones of my mom. Today, we're playing games. They're just games. You know what? You're right, said Elias. A maze is just a puzzle, and I love puzzles. He looked over at the Shakespeare team. The youngest on their team, Romy, was talking over his plan with the rest of the troop. Abigail marched straight for him. Okay, Romeo, she said to the kid. Your teammates found ways to cheat in both games so far. But a maze is a maze is a maze. Unless you're planning on hopping over the walls, you're going to have to find a way through all on your own, just like everybody else. Worry about your own team, okay? Said Hamlet. We still have the points from the rocket sled match, so at some point, you guys might want to come in first place. 
The little robot dog shyly grazed Abigail's leg, and she bent down again to give him a kiss. It's okay, little guy, she said. She looked up at the Shakespeare kids. I know that at least you know how to play nice. <coughs> Competitors, please line up at the entrance to the maze. Inside this maze is what's known as the Champion's Orb. Not only will you have to find your way to the central garden, where the orb is hidden, but you will have to figure out how to recognize it. It will appear as a simple rock until you place your hand upon it, at which time it will glow. And when we see that light shining from the maze, we will know who our winner is. Puzzlers ready! shouted Paige. On my count! Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second, said Romy, holding up his hand. That guy over there is way too tall. He pointed at the long-legged alien. It's not fair if he can see over the walls and we can't. Okay, okay, fine, said the long-legged alien. He bent six of his knees, folding parts of his legs one on top of each other, until he stood just slightly taller than Elias. The king nodded. Okay, said Paige, unless anyone else has anything else they'd like to say to interrupt me. As I was saying, three, two, one, go! The competitors dashed into the maze, which was like no maze Elias had ever seen before. Rather than simple turns left, right, forward, and back, there were hallways and paths and exits that pointed in every direction, up, down, left, right. He ran down a diagonal hall, and then down another, and then another, and after just a few turns, he'd already felt like he'd lost his bearings. It was like the maze was shifting as he made his way through. The only constant in the whole maze was Romy. The kid in the black spacesuit stuck to Elias like glue. Clearly, the Shakespeare strategy was to let Elias solve the maze and then jump in and grab the orb before he could. You know, said Elias, it's nice that you think I can lead you to the champion's orb, but I'm probably the most lost of anybody right now. Yeah, right, nice try, said Romy, but I'm not falling for that. And anyway, who said I was following you? How do I know you're not following me? Elias shrugged and stopped walking for a moment. When Romy stopped too, he took off, doing his best to lose Romy, taking last-minute turns and running as fast as he could. But the truth was that the longer they were in the maze, the less confident he felt that he could ever solve it. It seemed like an ever-changing funhouse. The only way he knew that he was traveling past the same area again and again was that the gum alien had gotten stuck to a wall and had become the only true landmark in the entire maze. Hello again, it said, as Elias and Romy passed it for the fourth time. And then the seventh time they passed the gum alien, the floating alien was stuck to him. This is so embarrassing, said the floater. I feel like a bug caught in a trap. Hey, who are you calling a trap, said the gum alien. Wait a second, wait a second, Elias said. Now I get it. Elias had solved the maze, and he was so excited, he started to explain it all to Romy, without even remembering that they were opponents. But luckily, he stopped himself before giving away the secret. If the maze really is always changing, he figured, and it keeps trapping them in this one area, then if they keep just turning randomly down hallways, they'll never get out. Another wall will appear in the hallway and then steer them back around. But if the walls were always shifting to block a hallway and turn him around, what if he just stopped turning? Elias looked at Romy and the two aliens stuck to the wall. See you guys later, 
Elias ran as fast as he could, straight at the wall in front of him. Oh no, he's lost his mind! Don't look! yelled the Gamalian. But just as he reached the wall, it parted. And then one after another, the walls fell away as Elias sprinted to the center of the maze. Romy, who was caught by surprise, yelled out and ran behind Elias, dodging the walls as they closed in Elias' wake. The long-legged alien must have heard Romy yell, because soon he was following Elias too, and the three of them ran straight into the central garden. Here, it was humid, and there were enormous plants, hundreds and hundreds of stones painted in glorious, bright colors and designs lined the paths. Ah, it could be any one of these, said Romy. But then he remembered his instructions and decided he would stick close to Elias and watch him. The long-legged alien wandered off on his own. All three of them were busy picking up the intricately painted stones, studying each one, hoping each time they grabbed one, it would light up in his or her hand. For his part, Elias was trying to remember the king's words. It will appear as a simple rock. But weren't all rocks simple? They were, you know, just made of rock. It doesn't get much simpler than a rock. But then he saw it. Across the garden, near where the long-legged alien was looking, was a single, unpainted stone. It sat, unremarkably, beneath a tall tree with orange and black leaves. Elias walked toward it, forgetting about Romy behind him, and stared at it for a moment. Overcome with his own accomplishment, he whispered to himself, the champion's orb. I I did it. Not so fast, said Romy. He reached out and tickled one of the knees of the long-legged alien. The alien laughed. <laughs> what are you doing? Elias turned around just in time to see the wriggling, giggling alien. Tickling him was like releasing a catapult. All of those folded knees in his legs suddenly unlocked, straightened out, and his leg whipped out, kicking away Elias's hand, spinning him around. By the time Elias realized what had happened, Romy was lifting the glowing stone into the sky. It grew brighter and brighter. The beacon of the champion's orb. This is crazy, yelled Abigail. What kind of Olympics is this where you can cheat and just get away with it? The Marlowe team was furious. Abigail nearly stormed the king's throne. Why even have us compete if the rules don't matter? Why not just give Shakespeare all the credit and forget all about us? The other aliens were just as angry. Each one had been used by the Shakespeare team as tools in their treachery. One by one, each of the alien teams left, saying they would find an Olympic somewhere else with proper competition. And, you know, honestly, for us... We're not really made for this sort of thing, said the gum aliens, who, stuck to each other, formed a ball and rolled away. The Shakespeare team mostly just remained quiet, confident, smiling at the chaos all around them, maintaining their innocence. Hey, I was just trying to point out to Longlegs over there that we'd found the orb, said Romy. I was excited. I didn't know he'd wig out and kick Elias like that. Yeah, well, you know, that didn't stop you from grabbing the orb, said Elias, rubbing his arm where he'd been kicked. <coughs> okay, enough, said the king. It's clear this has been a difficult competition with a lot of heated emotions and perhaps some poor sportsmanship. However, 
We have never canceled the Olympics before, and neither will we allow these games to go down in disgrace. So, you, Finn, please step forward. And you as well, Hamlet. Just call him Hammy, said Valet. Let it be officially recorded that the scores are now wiped clean. This final game will determine the winner once and for all. The teams waited for the king to say more. Well, said Paige, what's the game? The king smiled. Do you see that moon right there hanging low in the sky this afternoon? Finn and Hamlet nodded. Without using a spaceship, I need you to bring me a piece of that moon. Okay, I am here with my editor, Griffin Messenger. Griffin, you want to say hi? Hi, hi. Hello. <laughs> and do you want to say, what did you think of that episode? Pretty good. <laughs> all right. And, uh, and what did you think about all the, um, all the different games? Do you think you would like to play those games? The cannon one sounds kind of dangerous. Yeah, the cannon one sounded kind of dangerous. And the rocket sled. But the, you didn't think the rocket sled sounded fun? Yeah. What about the maze? Do you think you'd like to do the maze? Yeah. My idea for the maze was that it was like the ultimate corn maze. Yeah. You know how you do like corn mazes in the fall? Yeah. And that's always really fun. So that was sort of like the hardest corn maze ever. <laughs> so what, uh, you had some questions. You want to ask some questions? How come the, the Shakespeare kids got away with cheating? Yeah. Well, so they sort of got away with it, sort of didn't get away with it, right? I mean, they probably should have been penalized and maybe even thrown out for cheating, don't you think? Yeah. But they got all their scores wiped away as well. So they're not in the lead anymore. No one's in the lead. Right. So now it's just up to Finn and Hamlet. Yeah, hear me. Yeah, right. right. And uh, there's something kind of going on there. You're right. Like, why why weren't they just thrown out of the games? And I think it will all become clear on the next episode of The (laughs) Alien Adventures of Finn Caspian. Well, you have a... All right, so I guess you don't like that idea. Um, And I will say, too, one quick note on this, too, that part of the idea for the games and the challenges that the king is is putting them under, it's it's a much different story, but a lot of this idea comes from a book called The Thirteen Clocks by James Thurber. It's a book I really like a lot. And you and I haven't read that book together yet. But maybe we will. Maybe we'll read it after after this kind of little story arc is over. What do you think? Yep. Okay. So any other questions about the story so far? No. Do you do you have any questions about like where the story is going? Because it's much different. Last season they were exploring planets. This season they're just playing games. Do you have any questions about that? Yeah. Why can't they just go to another planet? Like, who wants to... Here's exploring to be done. We're not just there to, to play games. We have to explore. You're right. So last season, they explored a whole bunch. This season, they're just uh, playing games. But in fairness, they are kind of exploring this planet. They, they came to this planet to explore, to help this planet. So once they're done with these games, maybe we'll... Maybe they'll head off on some adventures, okay? Okay. All right, and so we have some uh, some things to talk about here. Okay, in the first half of this episode, on Tuesday, we heard sounds from Jonah and Alice. Thank you guys so much for those. And then in this episode, the growls by the cannonball-eating monsters were supplied by Desmond from Chicago. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
Okay, so that's uh, that's it for the sounds. I wanted to say that, uh, you know, in our bonus episode, SoundCloud bonus episode, if you haven't listened to that yet, go back and listen to it. We play a sound by one of our listeners named Sandris, and I want people to give us ideas on what that sound could be. We had a really good idea from Mare from Ferndale, Michigan. I'm not going to say what it is because we might actually use it. I don't want to be a spoiler here, but thank you, Mare, for sending that idea in. If you have any other ideas, by all means, send it in. Okay, so here's a joke from Sebastian. I'm going to let Sebastian tell you where he's from. This is Sebastian from Redwood Shores, California, and I have my joke. What do you call a three-head, a three-eyed alien? A-L-I-I-I-A-L. <laughs> right, great. And then here is a joke from Valentino, his older brother. What do you call a droid from space? An asteroid. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. And then we also have a joke that was sent that was emailed to us, not as a sound, from Leo from Urbana, Illinois, who's eight years old. What is an alien's favorite candy? I don't know. Starburst! (laughs) (laughs) And actually, I think Bebop took care of our art at the beginning of the episode, so thank you to everybody who waited so patiently to hear about their art, and we'll start with a fresh batch back on Tuesday. One last thing that I really did want to mention is that we have a survey in the episode here. And if you go into your show notes, you click view description, you'll see the survey. We're thinking about bringing some more shows to you and thinking about ways to support that. So I made this survey that if you have two minutes, it should take you about two minutes to take. I'd really, really appreciate it. Totally understand. I hate surveys too. So if you don't take it, no sweat. And it can be completely anonymous as well. Uh, that link is in the description field. Click view description and you can take that survey. All right. I think that's it, buddy. Bye, bye, bye. All right. Thanks, buddy. Bye, everyone. Okay. I want to say thanks again to everybody who has sent in their art, their jokes, their questions, their sounds. I have the world's greatest email inbox. Every day I get the best emails from all of you and I really, really, really appreciate it. Special shout out this week to Desmond for his sound and to all the great artists who sent in their art that Bebop already shouted out. And please remember, if you're so inclined, take that survey. Like I said, you can take it anonymously and it should only take you a couple of minutes. I really appreciate it. The Alien Adventures of Finn Caspian is a type drawer media production written and produced by Jonathan Messenger, edited and guided by Griffin Messenger, with special thanks to Maria Villanueva. The theme music you hear at the beginning and end of every show is by Mark Greenberg, recently voted the nicest human in the Milky Way. Hey, still just the Milky Way? That doesn't seem fair. All right, well, for more information about the music, the art, everything about this show, check out the show notes and FinnCaspian.com. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week. Uh, hello. Photographers, where did all the cameras go? It's me, Jess. This is a message for all the Six Minutes podcast fans out there. Have you heard? 
There are new episodes in the Six Minutes feed called The Ivan Dispatch. I won't go into details, but Ivan found something. A box containing audio cassettes recorded decades ago. And it looks like they were recorded by Cyrus. If you're a fan and you're not following the show, you may have missed out. Search for Six Minutes and click the follow button so you never miss an episode. And if you haven't heard Six Minutes yet, what are you waiting for? Search for Six Minutes, start a season one, episode one, and enjoy the most downloaded family audio drama in history. Hey, it's Jess. Did you know that GZM Shows has a YouTube channel? Right now, all of Six Minutes, Becoming Mother Nature, GZM Beats, and Cupid and the Reaper are up. And they're in these, like, beautiful playlists. They have this fun audio waveform visual. And best of all, you can turn on captions. And the captions have character names. Anyway, subscribe to GZM Shows on YouTube. Maybe there'll be some cool things in the future, like live streams, interviews, behind the scenes. We'll see. GZM Shows on YouTube.